the hard shoulder on News Talk with Nissan Subscribe and Drive. No deposit, no compromise, no fuss. Find out more at Nissan.ie. And this is the Hard Shoulder, Kieran Cudahy with you until seven o'clock. And I'm delighted to say that joining me now for the Thursday interview this week, the Hollywood actor and director Richard Schiff. Richard, you're very welcome to the show. How are you? Uh, oh, thank you very much. I'm I'm very well. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. We're all uh, doing well on, on this side of the pond. Listen, uh, before we kind of get into anything, I wanted to ask you, because about this time yesterday on the show, we were talking about... Bruce Willis, who has retired from acting, having been diagnosed with aphasia. And and I know I had a, a quick look. You, you you appeared in a movie with Bruce Willis about 10 years ago uh, now. And I'm sure you, like everybody else, probably taken aback by that news. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I was just reading it this morning. So I'm a little behind on the news. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, you know, it's always it's always um, somewhat uh, shocking when Someone you like is uh, is is befallen with some you know with something in life, um, you know he's had a he's had a good run, Bruce you know, uh, and he's a good man. I I enjoyed him. He was famous back in New York you know before he was even an actor. He was a he was a bartender at a at a bar called Cafe Central where all the Hollywood um, you know stars New York stars would go to and hang out at this bar. And I heard of Bruce Willis because he was the bartender that used to entertain everybody and was very popular there. And then he got a he got a part in a Sam Shepard play, replacing Ed Harris, um, and I forget the name of that play. And then became a big deal. So I was aware of him way before he even became an actor. And then in in, in that, when I lived in Los Angeles, um, we'd run into each other quite a few times before we worked together. Um, hurt his daughter. Uh, uh, him, his and Demi's daughter, uh, Rumor, was in a play uh, uh, as kids with my son uh, quite a few years back. So I, I've always uh, run into him and we've had pleasant conversations and then we got to work together and, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I, um, you know, I, maybe if I still have his number, I'll, I'll send, him a, uh, send him a note. All right. Um, you know, but I'm very sorry to hear that. He's, he's uh, you know, he's a he's a good Hollywood sort. You know what I mean? There and there aren't many of them. Yeah. Well, listen. Yeah, I think that kind of testimony would shine with what a lot of people seem to be saying about Bruce Willis uh today uh so no, no doubt uh, the truth um listen last time we spoke you and i um speaking of health matters you, you were just post covid you had been released from hospital how's the health today <laughs> uh well i ended up getting it again uh this year oh god uh but it was uh the omicron version and maybe because i had a couple of um vaccines uh it wasn't nearly as bad but it's taken quite a while for the um, the health to come back, and I'm I'm on a kind of a bender, a health bender, with, you know, um, encouraged by my wife, um, having to do with a whole change, to kind of um, get everything back in order. And it's been a, it's been hard. It, I have I've had some long term, you know, long haul issues, and um, uh, but it's working out now. Uh, hopefully, um, it, it you know it's not it's not yeah. Nothing like I've ever had before, and the the long term effect has been pretty profound. Yeah, you you were fairly shook, uh, you know, if memory serves me right, and and you were telling me about 
talking to your wife in hospital and the doctors having to explain to you, listen, some people, when they get to the point of illness that you were at, it, it doesn't get better. It gets worse. I mean, yeah, again, as I say, you, you, that, that understandably shook you at the time. I mean, have you had a chance to kind of reflect on that? It's, um, it's, you know, I think I went, I, I had a year anniversary of when I got sick uh, last November. Um, and I think I went through a kind of a, what might be described as a PTSD kind of experience. I got very, very uh, uh, kind of crazy for a few weeks there. And um, <clears throat> uh, it did shake me. I, I don't think I've quite processed it properly. You know, um, I'm just trying to recover from it. Um, it, it shook me on a number of levels, you know, because uh, I was in the hospital and um, and the uh, and and I was pretty pretty much uh, convinced that I might not get out, you know. And so I, I I made a call to my cousin, who was also the executor of whatever estate I have, you know, and he's a lawyer. And um, he was the first one I called because I said I told him, you know, I might not get out of here, so you need to know that. And then he went into uh, overdrive to try to, you know, figure out some stuff. And he, he's a brilliant guy and he, he had already done so much research. And um, he ended up calling my doctor um, and it became a team of sorts to help me from Los Angeles because I was in Vancouver mm. where I was shooting. I was in a foreign country. You know, when we got back, when we were going back to work, I was on the committee that helped negotiate what the protocols would be. To, to make it safe for us to work again, right? And one of my questions was, if we are gonna go back, um, if I get sick, if any of us get sick, um, are, are you gonna make sure that we come back to our own country to die? <laughs> That's one of my questions. Yeah. And that question was never answered. And it, it became an issue during that time because, um, there was no uh, system in place to make that happen. Uh, that's one thing. And the other thing is that with all the national health care issues that we have in, in the United States, which of course I'm in favor of to a large degree, the national health care system in Canada didn't serve me very well because my doctor and my cousin had come up with the, you know, he, I was already talking to my doctor and he gave me all kinds of antiviral kind of possibilities and, hmm. and you know, uh, all kinds of um, supplements and, and so on. Nothing was working. And, I, and now I was getting really serious. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't eat. I couldn't walk in the hospital. And it was getting dire. And he said, you know, remdesivir was the drug that you have to ask them to give you. And uh, the doctor who come, came around once every 24 hours, and I told him, you know, this is what my doctor says. He's, the doctor says, we don't have remdesivir. And then my doctor said, they're lying. They have to have remdesivir. So the next 24 hours, the doctor came back and I said, my doctor says you have to have remdesivir. Yeah. And he goes, well, we do actually, but we're, it's in clinical study. And, um, and I said, okay, I'll be a part of that study. And he goes, no, we can't. You're a patient. And we got into this argument, you know, as much as I could argue at that point. And I said, wait a second, you're not going to give me this drug that my, my doctor says I have to take in order to survive. And he goes, we can't because it may do you harm. And what's my first obligation? And I said, to not do me harm. And he said, yes, that's right. So I said, so you're willing 
in order to not do me harm, you're willing to watch me die? And he said, yes. And that's when I, that's, that's what shook me more than anything. And I, I go back and think about this, that, that, that institutional wisdom of, of national healthcare was willing to watch me die. And my doctor and my cousin, who's a very prominent, not prominent, but powerful, you know, smart guy, lawyer, they called, they teamed up, called the hospital, president of the hospital and threatened them and said, you know, we're going to go public with this. And then two hours later, I got the, uh, I got the, I got the remdesivir. And two days later, I started getting better. So it was, uh, I never, never spoken about this publicly before. And it's, it's quite, it's quite a remarkable um, experience to, to, to feel that helpless. And had I not thought to call my cousin, which I may not, I might not have called, called him i might have just mm. you know privately just you know dealt with it with my wife and um uh you know i'd be gone so i it's it's um it's it, that's that's what i haven't really processed yet it's the first time i've said this publicly wow i mean do you ever find yourself wondering how many people were in your situation before you yes. and and didn't have a cousin to call well, listen. Uh, the, my, the the actor Nick Cordova, who who died from um, uh, from COVID, and first he had his leg amputated, and uh, you know the hor- horrific experience um, that he and his wife went through, and he ultimately didn't make it, and he was put on a ventilator very early on, uh, and um, and in the ICU. Uh, and we learned, at least we learned that much. So I got into the hospital. They said, you, you have to go into the ICU and we're going to put you on a ventilator. And I said, no chance. You're not going to do that to me. And they said, okay, well, that's your choice. Um, and had I not said that, um, uh, you know, because we now know that if you're on a ventilator, your body uh, forgets to learn how to, forgets to know how to breathe by itself once you get off of it. And it's, it's very difficult to recover from that. So, um, yeah, I'm getting upset just talking about it. Uh, it's it's um, uh, a lot of people, uh, um, uh, you know, not it, that's not necessarily, uh, there's, there's no blame to be put early on. But once you know something and you don't act upon it as an institution, and you know, as a hospital, that becomes an issue for me. You know, uh, 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 in Nick's case, it was so early and people didn't know what to do, except he couldn't breathe. So they put him on a ventilator and that seemed to make sense. And then they, you know, it, over time realized that that was doing more damage and it was good. Mm. And, um, you know, and that I, so I, once you know, if you know that remdesivir has a chance of saving my life, you don't keep it from me, you know? Yeah. And I, I can imagine how many people who, uh, you know, I was lucky because I was in a position of, some kind of power, you know, because I had a, a, a doctor who was, you know, uh, who had who had some, you know, wherewithal and and my cousin and I had a public name. So if they went public on, on my case, they, they it would have, you know, <laughs> people would have taken note. So that's why they they acted. But if I was just a regular person, they yeah. probably just kept saying no. I mean, to be people listening to this and the whole story will sound counterintuitive because certainly over here, the Canadian healthcare model, and as you mentioned, you're in Vancouver, would be held up as as, as something of an exemplar. 
as in if you ask people on the street I'm sure outside the studio should we follow the US healthcare model or the Canadian you'd have a fairly resounding victory for the Canadians no, no doubt um, and and here's the good news um, had I died uh, it would have been a very low cost death <laughs> um, but yeah no I think for the most part um, you know you want people to be able to have some access to, to health care um, without it becoming debilitating and and um, destructive in your in your financial life, right? And and that's what they're good at. But the um, but the care, um, you know, uh, isn't necessarily top notch um, under that system. And you have I couldn't get a doctor to come see me when I was sick before I went to the hospital. I had to pay private. I had to pay. Uh, um, uh, I forget what they call it. They have a system. They, they call it something mm. where. You know, you pay out of pocket a, a fortune just to have somebody come over. So the regular, you know, so the private, the private sector in Canada it seems to be more reactive uh, to your needs. But uh, you know, as a basic, you, you have to have a national system. But you know, there's so many questions come up because of this experience. Like you know, when 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 people were resistant of the vaccine and and distrusting of of the information a little you know a little overboard in some cases yeah but but i understand it it's institutional bureaucratic wisdom telling you with very little knowledge that this is safe uh and and you're better taking this vaccine than not and there wasn't a whole lot of study and um it was a a, a decision made that was pretty quick and probably necessary but I, I, I'm not saying I support the, the, the quote, anti-vaxxers and all that, but I understand the distrust. Um, yeah. You know, how many stories have we heard where medical, Western medical <clears throat> um, uh, uh, wisdom um, isn't necessarily right for what, what the problem is, that they don't go to the cure, they go to the symptom. And I, I, anyway, I understand uh, but I wasn't as harsh as it, yeah. to the people. But you know, the, the, you know that 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 uh, the way you phrase that, you understand where they are coming from. You don't, you disagree, but you understand where they're coming from. Is that a is that an attitude that is becoming rarer in? I suppose in political discourse, but also in other aspects of life. I mean, it just seems to me like things like the vaccine and everything else just get consumed by the culture wars. And it actually doesn't matter what's being said. What matters is who is saying it. Yeah, I, I that it, unfortunately, that's that's very true. And it's, uh, you know, I, even on Twitter, I when I first got on Twitter, I would get into these arguments that were constructive with people. You know, and we'd end up uh, with great respect for each other, even if we disagreed. And that's not even possible. I don't even go on Twitter much anymore. It's not possible to have a conversation. Either you say something that a thousand people like, or you say something that a thousand people, you know, um, attack you for, or both. And uh, there isn't a discourse. And yeah, no, it's, it's remarkable. And I think it passes down uh, not not just in the political and, and, and the cultural wars, if you will, but also in your business. You know, I've had very bad um, um, experiences lately with, you know, um, uh, you know, real estate people and and lawyers and and fighting over bills and um, which never used to happen. You know, it used to like if you had a different disagreement, you come to a 
an agreement yeah. or an inclusion, and now people immediately go into battle, it seems, even on a day-to-day business. Um, and it's, it's, not, it's not pleasant. How, it's not. how do you put that genie back in the bottle? I mean, we have a situation like Donald Trump could come out tomorrow and say, you know, black is white and, you know, tens of millions of, of Americans would believe him. If he said kind of white is white, tens of millions of other Americans would accuse him of racist dog whistling. You know, again, it's, it's not what's being said, it's who's saying it. How do you unwind that? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't have the answer to that. I, I, I'm, I'm stumped. You know, I always, I always wondered, I was born uh, quite a long time ago and uh, about 10 years after World War II ended, right? Mm. So I grew up in an era, and of course I, I, I knew from, from stories from my own family, but I, but I also grew up in an era where all of the, not all, but uh, a, a lot of the cultural uh, entities, books and novels and, and TV shows and movies was about World War II or was about the, the things uh, that happened during World War II, um, Holocaust related or war related or, you know, um, how the world turned into uh, the, 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 um, the Cold War and, and the Iron Curtain and all that stuff. Um, and I, I, I grew up in a, in a difficult time in the 60s in, in civil rights and mm. riots in the streets and, and the anti-war movement and presidents being assassinated. And, but I still couldn't imagine how, how something like, you know, Nazi Germany could happen. And, and the, the genocide and the, and the elimination of entire you know, peoples or the attempt at it, I couldn't imagine. I still have all my life. I was like, how did that happen? I'd ask my parents, I'd ask my uncle, you know, yeah. <laughs> how does that happen? And they, no one can answer it. Um, and I've, I've learned how that could happen in the last five or six years um, in this country. Um, uh, it's, oh, God, it's that, that's, a, that's a kind of a, a terrifying testimony. Well, yeah, and look, but but look, but look at what's happening. I mean, you know, with with um, Ukraine and Putin and and the and the disregard for human life and the uh, uh, and the the push towards uh, authoritarianism and autocracy and uh, it's happening everywhere. And um, the encouraging thing about the Ukraine situation is is that people seem to be rallying around that. Uh, the world seems to be rallying around it minimally, you know, but. But um, you know there is a, a, a feeling of support at least um, for the, for what we hope are the good mm-hmm. guys. But I, I don't know. I don't have the <laughs> I don't have the answer. I'm not a I'm not a very good historian or sociologist. I, I just I don't I don't understand it. It stumps me. And um, yeah. the lack the lack of empathy, the lack of understanding. Um, yeah, on on all sides. You know, the hard left in this country, the woke culture is just as as guilty in my opinion um uh or it's become that anyway uh and it's it's unbearable you know um yeah so it's unbearable i've it's made me become a a lot more reclusive i've moved out of los angeles i live in in the sticks and um you know i'm looking around there's not a person in sight (laughs) (laughs) right well um listen i i 
I, I know you say not much of a historian. You're you're a great talker and great to have a chat with. And we kind of got lost down the rabbit hole, but I think those are the best conversations uh, to a degree. Uh, Richard, you'll have to join us again, and we'll, we'll ask that the the more straightforward Thursday interview questions about background and career and family and things like that. But it has been an absolute pleasure, and thank you so much uh, for your time. And and I look forward to our next chat. Uh, Richard Schiff, the uh, actor and director.